You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. This is the first time I've ever started off the episode. I'm a little bit is nervous. Is that right? That can't be right. I think I think it is so. I think it's so. <laughs> somebody somebody message us on Facebook if, if I'm just not remembering correctly, but uh, I think this is the first time I've started off. Anyways, I'm your host, Benjamin Hall from DreamLoud Studio, and I'm here with my co-host... Vadim Karaz from Calm Frog Recording. Ben, I do feel, I do feel like... Uh a weight that was missing from my shoulders there, not having to do the intro. So that's kind of yeah. nice. Is that, is that how you feel every other week? Just all loose? Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. I just Those first words are the hardest. The it is. But now we're into <laughs> it and we've already stumbled over our words, so we can't screw it up any worse, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but, you know, this is kind of my secret for playing live, and I think it can apply to the podcast as well, um, or anybody else out there if you're nervous about doing anything. My goal always for whenever I'm playing live is to just go as crazy as possible with the performance. And my thought behind that is, well, if I already make a fool of myself from the first few seconds, then like you kind of get that weight off your shoulders of like, oh, I'm, I've already kind of like... I've put myself completely out there and people are either going to laugh or accept it and it's going to be whatever, but it's not going to get any worse than that. So that's super interesting. I think probably another aspect to that is you're, you're getting like all your nervous energy out, right? You're just directing it into something. How long does it take you from when you start playing till you're like maximally loose and just in the zone? That, that's a good question too. I felt like, especially from the little bit of touring experience that I've had, I always felt like I hit this groove at the 30 minute mark of a show. Okay. Where you're like, you're completely warmed up, you're in the zone, but you're also like, I like physically exert myself a lot when I'm playing live. And so you almost get that endorphins rush, I think, and your body just kind mm. of relaxes. You stop like thinking about how are other people perceiving this and you just start experiencing more. Yeah. I think they call that the bass player's high. <laughs> I don't know. Like runner's high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bass player's high. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool, man. That's very cool. All right. Well, what are we talking about today? So what we're talking about today, uh, we are doing an episode after all. That's why you're here with us. We're going to be talking about our top 10 accessories under $50 that you can't live without. I love it. I think that's what we're going to wind up. I think that's what we're going to wind up titling it or something along those lines. So Vadim and I on our own independently have come up with our top 10 list of accessories you can't live without. And I kind of- Is your list ranked or is it is it just in any order? My list is in a somewhat ranked fashion. There's some that don't matter, but my last three I put specifically as kind of like the zingers. Oh, you're doing the, you're starting with number 10. I love it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have um, I have a couple on here that I think will be a little bit surprising, uh, and I'm really like, I feel like they're like diamonds in the rough that I've found, so you're going to want to listen or listen to the end for those whenever I reveal them. Okay. All right. I'm excited. Let's get into it. What do you got? The disclaimer is, this is not an exhaustive list, so there might be more. We, might, we should do this every year. <laughs> we really should. At but least, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is... 
Ben Hall's for 2020 <laughs> list of top 10 accessories, starting with number 10, a pop filter. You must have a pop filter if you don't have a pop filter already. And I'm sure this is on your list. Yep. Vadim as well. Um, the one that I'm going to recommend, and I'm guessing we're going to put show notes on here. I have links to all the things that I'm recommending. Um, so you'll be able to find those in the show notes uh, or on the Facebook page, uh, DIY Recording Guys community. Um, but you can find these for 10 to $15. I have a simple one that just kind of clamps onto a microphone stand. I did what does find- a pop filter do? Just talk about that a little bit. Pop filters are good for remo- removing what we call plosives, uh, especially for vocal recording. So a plosive is that p, p or b sound that you get whenever you're pronouncing those hard consonants. And uh, beyond that, it'll just help remove any unwanted wind or just breath noise from mm. a singer uh, going straight into a microphone. So a lot of condenser, large diaphragm condensers don't have a pop filter built in, so you need an external one. Um, the microphones that Vadim and I are both using, they have kind of a pop filter built on top of them. This is the, we're talking into the uh, Shure SM7B and they have a, I think it's just a screw on. I've never actually taken the pop filter off of this, but it either just screws on or pushes on. Um, but the one that I use in my studio is just a circular piece of mesh, mesh that's connected by a wire to a clamp and you just clamp it onto the microphone stand that you're using and you can adjust it around. Um, you can also use it as a way to gauge the distance away from the microphone that you want to be. Yeah, it's a, it's a great tool for those plosives and also uh, it's kind of a hygienic tool. I know I hate having people slobber on microphones and as vocalists tend to just want to get as close to the microphone as they can. So it is a nice distancing tool. You basically say, yeah, get right up on the pop filter. You can put put your mouth on it if you want. And I always clean them after the session. It's a <laughs> Especially good Especially now. Especially now with COVID, right? You got to put, uh, <laughs> you got to be even more careful with that stuff. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, so that's my number 10. Why don't you go? What's your number 10? Um, my number 10 is also going to be pop filters. Because <laughs> I think it's an obvious one. I feel like it's it's not because it's the 10th most important one on my list it's because it's the 10th most ob- it's like it's the most obvious one right? yeah yeah any list you look up is gonna have that so yeah i got nothing else to say on pop filters yeah it's one of those things that's like if you don't have one you should be i'm gonna say be embarrassed but no don't be embarrassed it just means that you're new to recording but they're so cheap they're not there's no reason to not order one off of amazon today don't be embarrassed but don't tell anyone you don't have one and just buy one <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, so we'll go on to number nine. Um, My ninth one is a quarter inch to one eighth inch, or that also could be labeled as 3.5 millimeter adapter. So Mm. this basically takes, I actually might have said that in the wrong way, because you can have the adapter go both directions, either from the larger quarter inch size uh, plug to the eighth inch or vice versa. And the one I was thinking about in particular is the one that lets your normal like earbuds, and that's normally a a 3.5 millimeter or an eighth inch. 
and it goes into the quarter inch. The reason I say that is there's so many times where I've had a band come into the studio or I'm over at somebody else's house and we're having band practice and, oh, why don't you plug into our interface to record something? Or um, I have a headphone amp. And oftentimes in the audio world, uh, the headphone amps, they use the quarter inch jack. And so it just always winds up being, even if I have enough headphones, somebody else brought their own pair of headphones that they want to plug into and they don't have the right um, adapter or size. So it's just, it's another one of those cheap things. Uh, I think I looked on Amazon and they were five to $10. I, I think I found one that was a pack of three for $10 and they were gold plated. So another very cheap thing that you definitely should have just laying around. Yeah, so that was my number eight. And I said packets of these adapters. And so the adapters we're talking about are, if you if you picture like the headphone jack on a cell phone, except now the iPhones don't have headphone jacks anymore, but that cell phone headphone jack is an eighth inch. And then like a guitar cable is a quarter inch, at least size-wise, but these adapters are called, typically they are TRS adapters, meaning that there's three segments. There's a tip, a ring, and a sleeve, as opposed to a guitar, which is just a TS connector, which means it just has kind of two segments on the tip, and that's just a tip and a sleeve. So you need the TRS for balance signals and also for stereo signals like headphones. Headphones are stereo, right? Because you have a left channel and a right channel. So tip, very commonly, headphones you buy will come with an adapter, like the, the headphones I, that I'm using right now have an eighth inch, so that's that little cell phone style plug. And then they come with an adapter that lets that takes you from eighth inch female to quarter inch male connector, yeah. which then you can plug into studio equipment. The, the, the reason I said packets is because I've lost so many of these freaking adapters over the years. Yeah. So I finally just went and bought like what you're talking about. I think I bought like a packet of six of one kind and a packet of six of the other kind. And I literally have these two little bins that just are full of these adapters. <laughs> and hopefully yeah. I'll never run out again. They're, they're a great thing to have around. Um, the other thing I could think of too, or the other use for them, and like you said, the modern, most recent iPhones don't have the headphone jack, but a lot of headphones still do. And a lot of times it's the tiny adapter. So if you want to listen to something on your phone with your nice cans that you have there, you're going to need mm, the adapter yeah. to go the opposite way. So, Right, right. My number, that was my number eight. My number nine was a box of earplugs. So you can just buy a big Ooh, a box of earplugs. Useful to have if you're working on loud stuff, or you're cranking amps, you got people in the studio. That's definitely something you want to mind your hygiene. You don't want to reuse those earplugs too much. And um, yeah, if you buy them in boxes, it's cheaper than if you go to like the pharmacy and you try to buy like, you know, six pairs that are going to cost you a lot. But if you buy just like a giant box of them and just have them there, it'll last you a long time. I did not have um, earplugs on my list, but that's really good, especially if you're doing band practice in a small room. Mm, yep. A necessity. Okay, moving on. So I'll give my number eight then. Yep. Uh, egg shakers. Got to have those egg shakers. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been working on a project, and this is mixing normally. Somebody will give me their stems to mix, and I'm just like, man, this course just needs something. I'm like, it needs some energy. It needs an egg shaker. I put egg shakers and um, tambourine. And the reason I say that you need an egg shaker in particular, 
more than just the sample is because I've gone looking on the internet for some egg shaker samples and for some reason I just can't ever get them to sound natural. Even if I like shift them to make sure that they're in tempo with the rest of the song, I just always prefer to record them myself. And yeah. They're super cheap and it actually adds such a big deal. I I'll give a challenge to people out there. I'll say go and listen to now you're probably not going to find this in metal as much, but go listen to <laughs> your favorite three or five pop songs. I guarantee you you're going to hear an egg shaker or a tambourine in at least one if not half of them. Like it's such an easy thing to like add energy and excitement to it or even if you don't hear those spe- those specific sounds in a recording you're going to hear something that's taking on the role of that. It could be like trap hi-hats that are kind of doing that fast-paced like percussive type of sound, but it's one of those things that I never really thought about before I started recording. And then I realized, oh my gosh, there's so many albums that use tambourines and egg shakers. It's crazy. Yeah. So you're not going to believe this, but I had egg shaker as number seven <laughs> and I, same thing. I feel like egg shakers are just a cheat code. Like if you had verse one and now you have verse two and you just want to spice it up a little bit, that egg shaker will go miles for you. And the other thing I like about egg shakers that I, I don't really... I've never really played with tambourines too much, but you can modulate the sound of an egg shaker amazingly by just, you know, whether you have your whole hand around it or you're just kind of holding it with your fingers, you get a very high sparkly sound. So there's a lot of kind of tone modulation you can do in just the way you hold an egg shaker. It's incredibly satisfying and fun to record. And yeah, it just adds that little salt and pepper onto, uh, onto any part that needs a little bit more energy than the previous part. Great choice. Yeah. And you don't even have to make it that audible. Like a lot of times I'll I'll just sneak it in there. So you feel it more than you hear it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things if, you know, once you have it in there and then you mute it, you instantly notice something's missing, but you can't necessarily hear it. So that's kind of the context that I'm thinking. Uh, Number seven here. um, I picked a DI box for number seven. DI box. This is very important. Uh, The one that I have in my studio, it's a pretty affordable one. It's the EDB-1. It's a very simple, passive, uh, one-channel DI box. I saw it on Amazon for $40, but I'm pretty sure I bought mine for a little bit cheaper than that. Um, You might be asking, why do I need a DI box if I can plug straight into my interface? The reason why you would need a DI box, and I do this all the time, is if you still want to record your guitar amp, and capture signal, guitar or bass cabinet, and you want to capture signal uh, using microphones. But simultaneously, you also want to capture that same performance as DI. So you would patch the guitar, um, the guitar cable into the DI box, and then you would send a signal from that DI box to your interface, and then a parallel output using an XLR cable or no, I'm thinking that I'm thinking the opposite way. You would send a unbalanced line to the guitar amp and then the XLR to your interface. That's what you would do. Mm. I narrowly missed putting that on my list. The DI box I use, I think, was more than 50 bucks. But I agree with you. That is a nice option, especially if you're trying to split a signal. You don't have to go too crazy with the DI boxes. Like I know that there's really expensive ones out there, but really like you can buy one for $50 or less and get something quality. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, give me your number eight, number eight or number seven. Oh, so my, no, we're, uh, I leapfrogged you. My number seven was Egg Shaker. So we're on number six. So give me your number six. Okay. So my number six was a shock mount for your microphone. Mm. Now, a shock mount, this is also very, I guess you could use this in a lot of different scenarios, but I'm mostly thinking of vocal recording again. A shock mount basically is a mount for your condenser microphones that is cylindrical shaped and it's normally suspended by either relatively flexible plastic or um, rubber bands or some or something elastic along along those lines and what this does is this helps keep shock waves so if your singer just likes to tap his foot a lot to the beat it helps the shock waves from traveling up through the mic stand and into the condenser microphone so it mm. just helps get rid of noise you know you could also use this and i've i've done this too on uh room mics or even on any kind of condenser microphone that you're putting on a drum kit because the drummer's smacking the kick drum so he's slamming his foot down on the ground and that's causing vibrations to travel through the ground so uh yeah i think that if you don't have a shock mount that goes along with your condenser microphones, you can go and buy them on Amazon. They're, they vary in price anywhere from, I saw a lot on Amazon from in the 20 to $40 range, but you can also go really crazy and spend a hundred dollars on one of these suckers. Now, yeah, in my experience, I think every condenser mic I've ever bought came with one. Is that, is that true for you as well? It is not true. I bought the really, really? okay. I bought a two pack of large diaphragm condensers from Audio-Technica. Uh -huh. And they're like the hundred dollar level, and they just have a uh, a screw on attachment that goes directly onto the huh. microphone stand. So there's not a shock mount that came with those. Okay. But if you buy a more expensive one, like even two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars and up, it's probably going to come with a shock mount. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a good choice. Cool. Why don't you give me your? You leapfrogged me. Comfrog leapfrogged me. So. There you go. <laughs> okay, my next one is uh, is an odd one, but it's something I've done just recently, and it's uh, I got two items here that I think you can get both for a total of less than fifty dollars. It's a humidity sensor and a small humidifier. And what I found was idea. in my st my studio is in my basement, and I've always had a dehumidifier, which in the summer when the air is moist you don't want a lot of moisture in the air so i pull that out with a dehumidifier but i noticed that my basement is really dry in the winter because of the heat and just the air is drier anyway so I, once i put a little humidity sensor on there it's just wireless battery operated it's right on my desk i saw i was seeing humidities like down to like 20 percent, which is bad for acoustic guitars and just guitars in general because what happens is the the moisture kind of gets sucked out of the the neck and the fretboard and you can actually start getting like if you've ever seen like the pokey fret syndrome where the frets start to poke out past the sides of the guitar a lot of times that can happen because of the guitar stored in a dry environment and the fretboard actually shrinks which can cause cracking and all kinds of unpleasantries so once i realized that this was an issue i bought just a little humidifier from like cvs or something and 
I, if it's too dry in there, I just run that through the day and it helps keep the, uh, the humidity level. I, what I read was you want to be somewhere between, you want to be around 50% basically for guitars. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. Um, I normally have the opposite problem where I'm running a dehumidifier, but I think I spent 300 bucks on that. So I can't include that in this list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's an important one too, because in the summer, especially if you have condenser microphones and things like that, you you don't want to store them in an, in an environment that's really humid. I'll tag one on to yours. I have, so for my acoustic guitar, it always stays in the case, but you mm. can buy these really simple humidifiers, which basically it's a plastic, um, it's a plastic device that gets inserted between the strings and the sound hole, mm. and it has a sponge inside and you just wet the sponge and put it in there. So naturally the humidity just kind of leaks out of that sponge basically just keeps it from drying out completely yeah i like that yeah that's definitely a simple solution um if you if you can't afford or if it's a little bit harder to control the full room like vadim's saying it's also a comfort thing like you don't want to be in an environment that's too dry your skin starts to get itchy and it's just it's just not good for you anyway so i try to keep my space right around 50% year round pretty much. So my dehumidifier set to 50% and then in, in the winter when the heat's running, I, uh, I humidify to get to that same level. That's a really good idea. Okay, cool. We're on to, so my number five, is that where we are? Yep. Right on. So my number five is a headphone stand, a stand for your headphones. Ooh. This is such a big deal. I didn't realize it was as big of a deal as it is until my now wife, she was my fiance at the time, she got me these really cool glue-on, stick-on <laughs> headphone stands that hang underneath your desk. Hmm. They're made by Anchor, that's the brand, and I think they normally retail for $24 each. So it's basically a T-shape, you can hang two headphones off of one stand Normally $25 each, I looked today and they were only $16 and they are so useful because I have two of them. One hangs right underneath my desk and the other one hangs right underneath one of my um, speaker stands. So it keeps my headphones from being off of my workspace because before then I had four pairs of headphones just lying around all over my workspace and it just always got in the way. There was cords tangled everywhere. So this is mm -hmm. just a little bit of a, one of those life improvement um, things out there. If you don't have one, you should definitely go get one. I love it. Yeah, I have um, my synth that's to my right is on a, like a synth stand. Uh -huh. And it, the synth stand is like wider than it needs to be. So all my headphones are hanging off of the, that thing, but it's, it could definitely be neater. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like the idea of having a, a dedicated a dedicated uh, hanger for them. Yeah, they work great too. Hey, whatever works, man. Give me your number your number 5. My number 5 is maybe a little specific to mixing, but it, I've actually it made a big difference for me. It's a monitor controller. I had a passive monitor controller called the Mackie Big Knob. I've actually since upgraded from that for a couple of reasons, but this thing is right around 50 bucks. And all it lets you do is it's basically like a little routing tool. It's the size of the square footage is like the same as a pack of bass strings. Okay. And it's, you know, it's about maybe two or three inches thick. 
And it's a, it's a routing system, so you can plug, let's say, the output of your interface. Let's say you only have an interface that has you know, an, uh, two outputs, a left and a right output. You can plug that left and right as inputs into the monitor controller, and then it lets you route that to multiple different systems, like speaker systems, headphone outputs, whatever you want, and then there's buttons on there that let you select your output device. So I can mm -hmm. have, you can have your main set of monitors, maybe you have a small speaker, maybe you have headphones, and you can kind of control that very easily with the clicks of these buttons. It also has a mono summing button on it, which a lot of uh, interfaces, smaller interfaces don't have. So if you're mixing, you can quickly click that mono button and sum the two channels and listen to your mix in mono, which is super helpful. Um, and it also has like a mute button. So if you just get, you know, somebody's talking to you, you can hit, there's a mute button and a dim button. For a really cheap device, it's amazingly helpful for your workflow. The other thing it has is it has a second source option that you can actually plug a cell phone or something like that into. So you can route the output. A lot of times I have people come in here and they have some ideas recorded on their cell phones, or at least I used to. And they say, hey, can you play this off of my phone? And I say, yeah. I just have a little eighth inch connector. I plug that right into my monitor controller and I could route it to my main monitors and we could listen to something off of their cell phone. That's really cool. I have a monitor station as well. Mine okay. I think is like $200 though. Oh, that doesn't make the cut, man. No, no, it doesn't make the cut. It's actually three, <laughs> oh, I th it's oh, 300 one brand in, new. In real life. Okay. What do you, what do you have? I have the um, PreSonus monitor station oh, right. ver version two. They are really nice. The The main reason that I wanted one, not not just this one in particular, but I wanted any one, was for a talkback button. Mm -hmm. Does the one you recommend have a talkback button on it? That one does not. Sorry. That one, uh, the Mackie Big Knob does not. But the one I, I've upgraded to the Drama MC 2.1, and that one does have a talkback mic and a talkback button. That's so nice. As you were going through all those options, I was like, dang, mine does have a mono summing button too that I never use. I just use the oh, mono summing that. in Studio One. I don't know something about it. Even on my current monitor, just being able to to press it for some reason without having to like scroll to find my master track and engage the mono. I just really like having that as an option. No, that was that was a good one. That was a really good one. I didn't know that they had ones available for less than or 50 bucks or less than 50 bucks. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a passive one, so it's a little bit limited, but if you're just trying to get one set of outputs to two set of, or one set of inputs to two set of outputs and have that cell phone capability, it's a really nice choice. It's just a well-built box too. I really like it. That's really cool. All right, I guess we're on to my number four. This is where I start getting into Let's the, do the bread and butter of my okay. list. If this is especially for if you're recording drums, and I'm going to try on the fly think of other reasons why you would want these around too. <laughs> okay. But if you're recording drums of any kind or cymbals, you got to get yourself some moon moon gels. Mm. Stop, stop tearing up your old t-shirts, and and putting them over the edge of your toms to deaden your drums. Get yourself some moon gels. <laughs> Does that even work? What? A the t-shirt thing. That's what I, that's what everybody, well, that's what everybody used to do back in the day, or you'll see like somebody puts a big, they wad up a big blanket and put inside the kick drum. I've seen like the wallet trick where people put their wallet on the snare to deaden it a little bit. I guess that could work too. 
So the idea, I'm going to go into some philosophy a little bit really quick. I'm going to make it really yeah, yeah, brief. Do it. So for drums in general, if you're hitting the drum and it doesn't have any deadening whatsoever, I'm specifically thinking of, this applies really to any drum, but in particular the toms, also the snare and the kick drum. So if you tune it up and you hit that drum and it sounds terrible, or you're trying to get rid of these nasty overtones, you either have really old heads or you're just really bad at tuning your drums. In general, you should be able to, or uh, the other caveat too is you just might have really low quality drums. They might not be able to hold a tune very well. So assuming that you have at least decent or average quality drums that you're working with and you have either brand new heads or almost brand new heads and you tune them up really well, um, you should be able to get a really nice resonance without putting any kind of dampening, whether that be blankets inside or strips of cloth that you put across underneath the, um, uh, the drum head against the shell. So you should be able to get a really nice um, drum sound without any kind of deadening. The only reason you would want to use the moon gels is to kind of deaden a little bit of the overtones or to maybe dampen it so that a tom won't ring as long if you want to make that resonance um, stop a little bit sooner. They definitely work a lot better. And you can also put them on cymbals too if you want to get rid of some of the overtones oh, yeah. of the cymbal ring. Uh-huh. Wow. That definitely I've does never, work. I've never tried that. But the yeah, the difference on like a snare drum is is stark. You will be oh, yeah. surprised. And it's almost always preferable to, to get rid of some of that ringing. Mm -hmm. It just cleans up the sound a little bit. I typically tend to record my toms without any kind of dampening whatsoever. But I... I normally put at least a little bit of the moon gels. The nice thing about them too is you can just use scissors to cut them up because I almost never use a full moon gel. It just deadens them too much. And it, it, doesn't it also, you can increase their effect by putting them closer to the center? Yes. Decrease their effect by putting them farther from the center. How, in your experience, how long do they last? Do they pick up dirt and stuff eventually? They do. As long as you, I mean, you can keep them clean. They normally come in this circle, which is funny. They come in a circular container because they're squares. That's funny to me, but <laughs> um, you can just put them right back in. After you're done putting them on the snare and play with them, you can put them back into the container and then they're out of the dust and the environment. Mm. So you can reuse them. They can last a really long time. Okay, cool. That's a great choice. Yeah, and they're only $7 for a pack. So they're super cheap. Got to pick them up. Nice. All right, give me your number four. Yeah, the rest of my stuff is almost not musical, but it's stuff that I've found incredibly useful for my workflow. So my number four is a smart Wi-Fi outlet. And okay. where I use it's basically an outlet that you program uh, to be on your Wi-Fi and then you plug something into it. I'll tell you how I use it in a second. Then you get an app on your phone that lets you control that outlet and you can have a couple of these so the dehumidifier that i have is super loud and i only run it when i'm not working and it's super annoying to have to get up and go and switch it off so now i can just sit down and do it from my cell phone <laughs> which, that's awesome so that's a nice uh nice 
cheat trick. They're not that expensive. I, there's some security concerns. You got to be a little bit careful because I, you know, there, I think there's some kind of um, cybersecurity concerns with some of these devices. So you want to look for one that's a little bit reputable. But uh, yeah, it's a lifesaver. That's awesome. I really have nothing to add to that because I haven't messed around with that kind of smart talk technology too much. That's very cool. I like that. All right. This is my number three. Yep. I'm going to go with a powered string winder. <laughs> Guys, stop being difficult to yourself. Oh this God. is for the guitar players out there. Guitar players and bass players. The ear, This is 2020. Stop changing your guitar strings by twisting the tuning knobs. It's just time for you to stop. Go and buy yourselves a a professional string winder. I I bought this through Ernie Ball because I have a sponsorship. I have a deal with them. And I just figured, oh, I get it for really cheap, you know, like it's not something I really think that I need, but I'm just going to, you know, buy it. I can't I can't tell you how much it's changed my life. Not only like does it make changing strings like probably three times faster than it used to be for me, but it makes me want to change strings more often just because wow. I would be, I would just be so lazy about it because I'm like, oh, I really do need to change strings, but I just don't want to spend 15 minutes or two a half an hour just twisting and getting my, you know, my wrist just exhausted just to change strings. And then I have to take a break before playing because my wrist is so tired of twisting. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds super pathetic right now, but like, no, man. For You're like 20 or me. Yeah, for 20 for the one that I have is the Pro. It's $43, which is a little bit pricey, but they also have a $20 or a $22 version of it and I really think you can't live without it. And so it works on bass pegs as well as guitar pegs? Yeah, the one that I have so it has uh it's almost like a Phillips screwdriver design where one edge of it is closed off. It's made for tinier guitar tuners. And then the other is yeah. open for like the big style Ernie gotcha, ball, flat. like bass. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. That is always a consideration for me is I hate changing. I, I change strings before recording, obviously. But other than that, I don't change my strings that much. And that's probably why I have one of those. I have like a Planet Waves. It's a manual crank and it has a built-in string cutter. But definitely I get tired. So I'm going to, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that one. It's don't on, throw it's out, on the list, Ben. Don't throw out your old one because I still have my Planet Waves one because the, the electronic string winder does not, that's my only, it would get a 10 out of 10, but it gets a nine out of 10 because it doesn't have a way to cut the string. So you cut need it, something yeah. separate. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to, okay. you got to go get it, man. Cool. Give me your number three. My number three is another tech thing. It's a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. And this is important if you're working in the studio alone. If you can, the ability to take your keyboard with you and sit down and be playing guitar somewhere else and control your DAW without having to walk back and forth is Ooh. pretty huge. That's a really interesting idea. I like that idea a lot. Can you, you use Pro Tools, right? Yep. Do they have a way to remote control the DAW through your cell phone? That's a good question. I don't know. Not sure. The reason I bring that up is because I would say I would definitely use that, but the only reason I haven't needed to is because 
Studio One has an app that you can control it from your phone. So I just take my phone with me and I'll hit play and, and record and pause and all those different things. Oh, that's great. Is it through the Wi-Fi as well? Yep. That's very cool. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't uh, thought about that. I don't have much need to to do that because I mostly am able to record right in front of my computer, but I really like that. And I have seen that in other systems where people control with uh, even like live sound with an iPad or something like that, and they can actually see the Pro Tools. I don't know if it's Pro Tools. It might be another interface, but they can see the faders and actually, you know, work stuff. Yeah. Kind of like a little little portable digital mixing board, but that is very cool. So you use that, huh? Through your cell phone? I use it a lot. I would probably have gone out and bought a Bluetooth keyboard like you're talking about if it hadn't been for that. Right on. Yeah, very cool. So yeah, both of those are definitely solutions to that. But yeah, I like I like that as a suggestion, Vadim. That's really good. All right. Number two for me is go get yourself some throat coat tea. <laughs> Yep. This is not only if you're a vocalist. I do some vocals occasionally, but I like to have it in my studio just for any guest vocalist. I'll offer them throat coat. Hey, drink this tea while you're singing. It's amazing. Like it literally does what it advertises. It coats your throat so you can sing longer. Your voice just doesn't get burned out as quickly. And it, I don't know, it just feels more lubricated. It doesn't get dry. My throat gets so dry whenever I sing. And uh, especially if I'm doing more hardcore stuff where I'm getting really gravelly with my voice, mm-hmm. you got to have throat coat on you. I love it. It's a great, that's a great addition. Thanks, man. Do you use throat coat or do you have other, something else that you use? I use it uh, not for singing. Thank, thankfully, everybody else will thank me for not singing. <laughs> throat coat or no throat coat tea, I cannot sing. But I do use it, uh, I just like it. And especially if I'm coming down with a cold or something like that, then I will drink some throat coat. Absolutely. It's a good herbal tea too. They just taste good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's got, it's got a little bit of that licorice taste where you got to be a little bit careful. If you don't like oh, a little that, bit, you, yeah. may, you may be not so hot on it, but I do enjoy it. All right. So that was your number two. Yeah, that was my number two. My number two is a one terabyte hard drive, which you can now get for $50. And that really? is... Yeah. Dang. That's crazy. I was, I was surprised as well. I was thinking, you know, I wonder how big of a hard drive you can get because memory just gets cheaper every year. So yeah, you can get a one terabyte hard drive and back up all your stuff and not have to worry about whether when that old computer is finally going to die on you. So yes, yep. one terabyte hard drive. I like it. I'm completely on board with this. And a lot of them come with software to automatically back up. I've mm, not had as do. I've not had as much success setting that up. I'll normally just do it manually. Mm. Cuz normally I can't I don't know why, but maybe the technology's gotten better, but when I first started messing around with this a couple years ago, I couldn't just tell it to like only grab this partition on my hard drive. It would just copy the whole thing, and I'm like that's no, that's too much. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, I've gone to a cloud system now, um, but I still do have the hard drive and I still do keep a kind of a synchronization schedule where I have, so basically I have two backup copies, one on a physical hard drive and one in the cloud on a server farm somewhere in Arizona, perhaps. I don't know where it is. (laughs) Maybe. Somewhere dry. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) 
Good one, though. All right, we're on to my number one. I'm really curious if you've ever heard of this before, but I'm going to drop it. Give it to me. This is mostly for if you're monitoring anything in your studio. So that doesn't have to be mixing work. That can also be you're monitoring what you've just recorded, or you just want to have the most premium listening experience you can have with the monitors that you already have. So you don't have to go out and buy new monitors. You just have to get yourself a pack of sorbethane pads. And you're going to say, what the heck is sorbethane? What the heck is sorbethane, Ben? I can't really tell you either. I forget what sorbethane is, but somebody invented it. And I don't even know if it was for an audio application, but basically it's a substance. It's kind of like a rubbery substance, but it is really, really good at mitigating um, sound waves and vibration that travels through it. So you would, it probably was developed more in sense or more in a way to kind of, uh, stabilize things so if there was a lot of vibration i could definitely see this being something that was developed for more of a scientific uh application where maybe you had some really sensitive machinery that you wanted to isolate from any external vibration Hmm. so you'd put these sorbethane pads underneath and it would kind of isolate it and you know even as still as we think the world is like the earth still introduces some amount of you know tectonic movement and vibration so you would put these underneath whatever instrument or thing that you're using to kind of get rid of all that vibration but somebody figured out this works really good for putting underneath your monitors because if you think about it uh when your monitors produce especially any sound wave but in particular bass if they travel through whatever you have your monitors sitting on or even on nice monitor stands if any of that vibrational energy travels through the monitor stand that energy is not coming out of the speaker as a sound wave so Mm. you're actually losing low end in particular i did the test myself in the studio when i first bought them i compared um the monitors i have are also presonus and they come with some type of vibrational mitigating coating that goes underneath them and i tried one of the monitors i set up with the sorbethane pad and the other just had you know what it came with and i was shocked at the difference wow unbelievable and they're very affordable too you can get a pack of them for just 20 dollars. all you'll need to do is do some research because there's some optimization you need to do with the amount of pads you need and the dimensions of it versus the weight of your monitors so the lighter Mm. your monitors are the less that you'll need interesting that is a very cool hack i like it a lot i use um i have little iso acoustic stands which are probably a little more pricey than that but the idea is the same it's to minimize those um those vibrations in either direction. So yeah, you don't want to basically, like you said, your speakers can all resonate what they're sitting on and you can kind of create really crappy speaker surfaces out of other things that are in contact with your monitor. So yeah, that's a great, great hack. I love it. Yeah. Give me your number one. My number one is not super sexy, but it is super helpful. It's this little headphone amp I got called the, it's the Behringer HA400. 
and it's about it's like less than 30 bucks i think and what it what it does is it takes a single stereo input and it gives you four independent headphone channels with independent volume controls so if you have one of the kind of smaller intro level or entry level interfaces like a two channel interface or something like that you may only have one headphone jack in that interface so having this little headphone amp gives you turns that one headphone output into four headphone outputs and each with an independent volume knob and this is super helpful um a lot of times i have singers in here that like to monitor stuff really loud because it helps their performance but I don't want to be blowing out my ears. So when I was working with a really minimal uh, setup that only had a single headphone output, that's what I would use, and I would be able to kind of set those levels independently, which is very helpful. It's a great hack. I have something similar as well. I think it's made by Her. It, it's like H-E-R-R. Hmm. I forget. I, I know it's in the same level as that Behringer stuff, but same thing. takes a stereo input and turns it into four, four stereo outputs. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're also like super portable. So if you're doing, if you have a mobile setup, like a laptop, uh, you can use this type of thing to just give yourself more uh, headphone outputs. That's great, man. I love it. All right. It's a good list. Yeah. I have a bonus. Ooh, let's hear it. This is as important, if not more important, than everything else combined on this list. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You got to go out. You got to go to Amazon and get yourselves for $32. You got to get yourself a an AeroPress to make yourself some coffee. Cuz AeroPress is the best method of brewing coffee in my opinion. Is that right? I've never tried one. Need to try one. Really? How do you so normally make does, your coffee? So it depends how much I'm making. Like if my wife is having coffee, I'll just use a we have a a drip coffee maker which it's okay. A, it's a it's a good one. But if not, if I'm just making just for myself, I'll just use a French press, which I don't like as much. You got to try the AeroPress, man. What's the principle there? What's what's at work there? What makes an AeroPress unique? Now, we probably lost half the listeners here. I'm telling you, That's right. guys, even if you're even if you're not a coffee drinker and you're not interested in this, one day you're going to be on a long recording session with your band. You're, you're going to be going on hour 22 of recording guitar tracks, mm. and you're going to be like, I need to keep going, but my stomach can't handle another Red Bull energy or Monster <laughs> energy. So I need to start drinking coffee. And this is, you're going to think back to this episode, and you're going to, and you're going to say, you know, Ben didn't, ben Vidim didn't treat us wrong. So this is why you need to pay attention, even if you're not interested right now. All right. <laughs> but All right. Um, the principle of the AeroPress is, so you use a very fine grind size, almost espresso grind. It's okay. one up from espresso. And um, you can make it for larger size cups, but it's normally for like a single serve uh, amount. So anywhere from eight to 12 ounces, just a single cup mm-hmm. of coffee. You heat the water up to almost boiling. For about 30 seconds, you let it steep in the coffee beans. You stir it around a little bit so it's equally distributed, the water. And then you press it out using the air pressure of the plunger, essentially. Mm. And the thing, I, the thing I like about it is that because you're using a really fine grind size, larger surface area, 
right? Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Larger surface area because it's a smaller grind size, so you don't need the water to be in contact with the beans nearly as long as you do with a French press, because that's the coarsest grind size. Yes. Because you don't have the coffee in contact with the beans as long, for the same type of coffee and the same type of coffee beans, if you put the French press and AeroPress next to each other, you would get a crisper cup of coffee. It would be... I would describe it as brighter. You're going to get more flavor notes from it. It's going to be less bitter. Uh, and it's not going to be as murky because you don't, you don't have to use a filter. They make mesh filters for the AeroPress, but I like using a fitter or, or a filter because it gets rid of any of the smaller granules that always, it always leaves French presses a little bit too murky for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm changing your life for the better today, Vadim, with the string winder (laughs) and the AeroPress. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my all right, my friend. It's good, uh, good list, good episode. We hope you guys enjoyed. So, uh, if you guys have a top ten list or any other things that you would add or take away from this list, why don't you drop us a line and let us know in the DIY Guys Facebook community or on our Instagram. Our Instagram is at DIY Recording Guys. We're new on there, so give us a warm welcome. And we're posting one of the cool things we do is we post tips or kind of the, the cliffs notes from these episodes. So after they air, uh, we're posting little bite sized nuggets of wisdom that you can uh, take away with you. We'll have to see if AeroPress makes the cut this week. We'll have to see. Not sure. <laughs> Maybe you should try first. But, anyways, guys, it's been fun. Uh, we hope you have a good week, and we'll see you here next Monday for another episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. We'll see you next week.